Blow my father. Hello? Uh, hi, Ernie. Hey, Dad, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you okay now. Great. Okay. So you wanted to start More. things off a little differently by doing a little uh, a Bible passage, uh, building on our conversation from last week? Okay, I'm going to do the preamble for a change. Okay. Okay. Uh, here it goes. In 1983 and 84, I had a son who was in the speech team at the high school. And he was doing extemporaneous speaking. What they will do is they'll give him a topic only about five or ten minutes before the presentation. Then they will tell him whether he is going to be pro or con. And he has to either defend the position or oppose the position. Today, I'm going to give him Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. And I'm going to ask him to defend my position. My position is this. In this passage, Jesus mentions a parable which talks about a landowner who hires servants work in his vineyard from early morning till evening. And when he hires the workers in the morning, he tells them he'll give them one denarius, a day's wages. And hires the other people at different intervals, he tells them, I'll give you what is fair. He, at the end of the day, he gave a denarius to everybody. And the people who came in the morning were grumbling about that. And the owner said, why are you grumbling? And the actual uh, verse that I want him to defend is this. Says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So what is the connection here? I'll mention what uh, we were discussing last week. When I was practicing, I would uh, do surgery and I'll send a bill to the insurance company. My contract with them was that they'll pay 80% of my charges. So I have to deal with the other 20%. And in some cases where it is another physician or a pastor or a missionary, or people who I feel that may not be able to pay the 20%, I'll write it off. But the question comes, is it unfair? Is it unethical? Is it illegal or immoral? Also, we talked about whether it's good or bad. My position is that it is my money, my contract with them was that whatever I charge them, they pay 80%. So I'm giving them the 80%. So I want you to defend this, my son. Sure. So let's talk about the passage first okay. and see if you can agree okay. what's going on. So the specific okay. claim that the landowner gives here is, yeah. does he have a right to pay people whatever he wants? Right? Or he promised them a fair wage. Yes. Right? And certainly if he had paid people 
less than a fair wage, that would clearly have been wrong. Correct? Say that again? If he had paid people less than a fair wage, like he said, yes. I'll pay you what is fair. Yeah. And if he had paid them, you know, the people who had worked a full day, if he had paid them less than a full day's wage. Right. Then, you know, they would be, uh, that would be wrong. And so yeah. it was certainly right and fair for him to pay the people who worked a full day a full day's wage. Right. And here's the interesting question. So then the people who pay, who worked less than a full day, mm. he decided he just wanted to pay them a full wage anyway because he was generous or it was just simply to compute or he was trying to make a point, whatever. So clearly mm. he had a right to do that, right? That is okay. the point of this passage, okay? The, the interesting question uh, is, um, was it right for the laborers who worked a full day to complain? Okay. And I would argue that, you know, if we say that it's, you know, that it's fairness is difficult to define and that the laborer has a, I would argue that the, the landowner has a right to do what he wants with his money, but I also think that the laborers who work a full day have a right to be upset. And in particular, if they know that the landowner is like this, they would have, uh, uh, as, as rational actors, as we say in modern economics, then if the, if the landowner always does this, then it's kind of foolish for them to work a full day. They should just show up five minutes before closing time and get a full day's wage. And so even if it was right for the landowner to act that way, and he has a right to his perspective, the workers have a right to their perspective too, and if they see the landowner acting in that way, then they have a right to change their behavior. Would you disagree with that? Yes, I would. Uh, ah, we're not talking okay. about the future. <laughs> we're not talking so about the so future. So we're talking about this ah, okay, one, so one instance. <laughs> ah, so this is the point that's actually very hmm. interesting, which hmm. is one of the questions that's come up is, does morality scale? And morality what? are we morality allowed what? to ignore all future consequences when making decisions about right and wrong, can we look at things purely in isolation and say this is right or wrong, and that's the only thing that matters? No, no, that's not the only thing no. that matters. It's not the only thing that matters, but what we're talking about is this particular way of doing things. And from the point, this, sorry, we're sorry, talking about this practice. This, practice. This, this practice. Sorry, sorry. You're moving it from the, the landowner. To the people who are working, they had a contract. We paid the contract. Why should they worry about it? There's nothing to do with this proposition here. They gave Sorry. me a contract, and I paid you what oh. I said I will pay you. Sorry. Okay. What's the problem? Okay, so okay, so let's talk about that then. Okay, okay. so you what, so so what what position are you asking me to defend? Okay, because I was talking about the that is right to do it. Right <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, but let's be precise. Okay? okay, there's many things that are going on. So there's there's does the landowner 
a right to do what he wants with Right. I'm talking about. Right. Right? And we agree that, yes, he does, but there are also consequences for him doing that. And then the question is, well, is this the right thing to do? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, not the right thing to do. That's what he does. Is that good? Is that well? Is it good? Is that good? Is I'm it moral? Is it illegal? It's not illegal. Obviously, it's, it's not illegal. He performed right. this contract. Uh, uh, is it immoral? Is it unethical? It may be poor business practice, but it's his money. So, what's right. wrong with doing? Sorry. What he's doing? Sorry. Well, I want you to defend his position. He doesn't Sorry, worry what about position? That he's, Sorry. he's giving the same thing to every. He is not. Uh, is he eating the people that came in the morning? I so sorry, that. sorry. Uh, yeah. I lost track of the question. You said many things, and I'm feeling a little bit of emotional energy here. Okay. Okay. What is the thing that you care about, Dad? What the landowner did. Okay, the landowner immoral? did something. Okay, and so yeah. the question that you want answered is, is it immoral? Immoral, illegal, right? it's unethical, or good? Or good. So here's the question. Okay, so clearly it is uh, not illegal. Okay. And it doesn't appear to be unethical. Okay. Okay. And so then the two questions that are outstanding is immoral and good. Okay. Right? Now, the really interesting question is good for what? Is it good for business? Is it good in God's eyes? Which is that, and is that no. the same as immoral? What, which question are you concerned about? Oh, is it good in God's eyes? Okay. It's good because in that's God's what he eyes. Does. The, whole, the whole model of the parable is this is God. God treats somebody who's been a Christian all his life and the thief at the cross, same level. He gives them the grace, gives them eternal life, no matter when they came to him. Somebody okay. who's been living all his, that's the point of the story, right? The grace of God, right? So that's fascinating. So what you're telling me is the point of the story is that if we turn to God, then we are good in God's eyes. No, it's the other way around. God <laughs> is gracious. God is not we turn to God. God is gracious. He offers eternal life to everyone in his terms, which is his love for us. It doesn't matter whether you've been with them from your birth or even the last minute. He'll still accept you and give you his blessing and his grace, and you will receive eternal life. Isn't that the okay. point of the story? Isn't that so, the point uh, of the story? Yes. Sorry, maybe. I, I'm asking a different question. What's your question? You, my question was, I thought that the thing that you said you were concerned about is what is good in God's eyes. Right? I never is that said that. I never about? said that. I never said what's good oh. in God's eyes. That was your word. That's your word. Did you? And, so yeah, sorry. But what? Okay. Yeah. What did you mean what, to say? What that? I said was, 
what 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 I what I did what I did was immoral or is it good? Good or bad, right? Good or bad. I think I lost your audio there. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is it good or bad? That's the question. Yeah. So okay, so the question is okay, so do you want to focus on the question of immoral or on the question of good or bad? You can address each one, right? Because we talked about so, the ethical, we talked about, you know, the legal and all that. So it's another two aspects of it. Okay. So what the question is, can you define good? Because I can define good as good business practice, and I don't think that's what you mean. No. So good, yeah. What do you yeah, mean? Go with the, can you define what you mean? Okay. We can go so with good. In, good in, I'll accept that. Right? Go, good in God's sight. Okay, so thank you. So mm. let me ask again my second question then. Mm. Mm. This passage, when you were describing the point of this parable, mm. we said that, well, those who turn to God, whether they're a thief on a cross at the last minute, yeah. or whether they've served God as a Christian all their life, inherit eternal life. So this raises the question, is mm. what is good in God's eyes that we turn to him? Yes. Okay. That's why you so said Okay, so that implies to me that the from God's perspective, what is good in his eyes is hearts turned toward him. Work for him, yeah. You can say that or also in this particular instance they work for him in his vineyard. Right? Well but but, but let's let's well, let's not make the okay. metaphor too much. Okay. Right? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. But so then, what I'm what I'm hearing is that if that's the measure, then any particular action is the the and this is not a, and this is a plausible definition of of moral versus ethical is about the attitude of our heart towards God rather than specific. Um. Uh, external practices right okay if turning to god is the thing that is good in his eyes then that's mm. primarily a matter of our heart although it is manifest in external okay see you're turning the thing around so what we, what we turn to god we uh, we what we do in this particular parable what we do doesn't matter at all it's all God. Well, it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Sorry, is that? I don't think that's precisely true. Yeah, the right. The yeah, parable but... of how much we do doesn't seem to matter very much. Right. Yeah, but the fact that we show up for Him is what matters. Yeah. Right. And I think that's yeah. an important distinction. Right. Mm. Is that there is something that matters, and but it's not the thing that we think it is. Okay. Right. Mm. And so the thing that is interesting is that I could look at, you know, the landowner and say mm. there could be a wide range of different motives for why he's doing what he's doing. You okay. know, you know, you know, and you know, in the context of the parable, it's like well, we assume he's the good guy, and the you know the whiny landowners are the bad, uh, the whiny employees are the bad guy. But that's, you know, 
And so if we have inside knowledge, we can say, oh, clearly it's moral. But, you know, I can imagine that, you know, the implication is that he has a generous heart and he wants okay. to serve people, right? You can imagine people doing similar, like the Ananias and Sapphira case in uh, the assessment, people who act generously to try to impress other people, which God despises, right? Right. right. And so the point is, is that, well, without knowing the heart, by this standard of measure, it's hard to judge whether or not something is immoral. That's what I would argue based on this parable and our discussion. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't agree with that. Because we know Sorry, the heart well, of well, the well, person. We, we know Sorry. the heart of the person. The landowner, Sorry. we know the heart Sorry. of the landowner. He says that. Sorry. Do you have well, a problem because I'm generous? And he is generous. Well, he's, so, sorry, we know that he is claiming to be generous, and we assume we God, have a reliable man. narrator. Sorry. We're talking about God. The, okay, God is fair enough. Owner. So, so, because we know the context, and we know it's a story, and we know the storyteller, we know the intent of the story is to tell us, is, is to represent the landowner as generous, and therefore okay, we can sentence. conclude that he isn't. Okay, because... This is a story. This is an artificially constructed parable by a reliable mm. narrator, Jesus, mm. right, mm. as passed down to us through what we consider reliable narrators. I can say, okay, the intent of the story is to portray the landowner as generous. Therefore, we have inside knowledge that the landowner is really generous. Therefore, we are justified in making a decision that the landowner is, is acting morally. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Right. So because because we have reliable inside knowledge of people's hearts, yeah. therefore here we can make a decision of what's moral because it's an artificial situation. No, 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 no. Really. Oh, sorry. Wait a minute. I just told you it was a story told by a reliable narrator. Okay. Okay. Let me repeat right? what I'm going to say next. I'll tell you what. I, the thing that I am saying is. I'm the narrator, and I know the narrator, and I know the heart of the narrator and the motive for doing what he did. Because we know. Sorry, sorry, slow so, 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 so down. Was, okay, I think I lost to, a sentence somewhere. Okay, okay so let me repeat it. Let me repeat it. Okay. In my case, my mm -hmm. story. I'm the narrator. I know the heart of the person who did it. I know the motive for which he did it. He did it not because he wanted to gain favor with people. No, he did it out of generosity towards the person, whether it's because the other one was a professional, the other one was a pastor, or was somebody who cannot repay. They forgave their 20% for the generosity of my heart. How could that be immoral? Okay, so uh, are you still there? Exactly what you said. The narrator, we know the story, we know the narrator, we know the uh, motive, we know the heart of the person. Sorry, just so we're clear, uh, you're asserting that you are a reliable narrator. So uh, my claim was that because this is a reliable narrator, we have perfect knowledge of the, of the situation. Um, it sounds like your argument 
and I'm not disputing whether this is true or false, I must make clear what your claim is, is that you are a reliable narrator of your own. Yeah. And okay. I want you to defend it. I want you to defend my position. You are opposing my position. You are, sir, I, I'm, trying to out what your, I'm trying to figure out what your position is. Uh-huh. I told you. What I'm Sorry, doing is no. not immoral, illegal, unethical. It's, it's good. Okay. It's out of and the reason. Of the okay. Sorry. Okay. Let me just make sure I'm clear on your position because I'm not going to defend something I don't understand. Okay. Except you have to earn your extemporaneous thing you did. Sorry. Right? You also confused my extemporaneous speaking, speaking with debate. Extemporaneous <laughs> okay. speaking didn't actually require you to take a position. Debate yeah. does. And I did debate yeah. like twice in my life. So just so we're clear, but like the position okay. before Go you ahead. defend it. And it, usually you choose very carefully which definition of the position to defend because that makes a huge difference in your ability to succeed. Okay. Okay. So your position is that you are reliable, is that a matter of the heart, and that no. you are a reliable narrator of the motives of your heart. And therefore, yes. you are justified in saying that your decision is was moral. Yes. Okay. So uh, I think that um, because I know you, mm. and because I know your motivation, I am yeah. comfortable mm. making the assertion that your motives were um, pure. Yeah. And therefore, your action was not considered immoral. Thank you. Okay. All right. Now let's go to Tyson. <laughs> well, this is actually good because this is actually a good segue because okay. one of the things that comes up yeah. is um, um, so this, chap this chapter is very odd. Because it had almost nothing or very tangentially talks about his business. It is almost okay. entirely focused on his family life. Okay. Uh, when they move into the nice house on Millionaire's Row. And it's like, he makes several points about how, like, it's on Millionaire's Row, but it's very modest and they don't have a lot of staff. And he even doesn't worry much about the house. He's worried about the shed behind it. Like, he is doing things that are somewhat typical and somewhat atypical. And my favorite example of this, yeah, sorry, is how he decided, like, he likes to go skating on the ice with his kids. But right. he is aware of the fact that this is risky because the ice can be thin. And so everyone would carry long planks under their arms. So if they fell in, they would do this. And it's like this, this perspective, as I think a really great lens for looking at Rockefeller, and I identify it with someone, is like, okay, he wants to do things his own way, and he's yeah. perfectly happy doing things that other people consider reckless or in, unethical or immoral or whatever, because mm. he does not want to be constrained by what other people think. But right. he also doesn't want to be uh, reckless, and therefore he tries very hard to find the right, you know, compensation, guardrails, whatever, so that he can... He, he can balance things out, right? Okay. And the interesting mm -hmm. consequence of that is uh, he has reason to trust his own judgment because he thinks these things through, as we have demonstrated, 
much mm. more than most other people do, right? He's very mm. intentional, deliberate, and thoughtful, right? And the interesting so he reminds him of you? Does he remind so, him of you then? Yes, because I also, like, mm. uh, have gotten into trouble in the past because mm. I have trusted my judgment of things rather than what other people think is normal or sane mm. or wise, okay. right? And sometimes it works out well for me, like holding on to Apple stock in 2008, yeah. right? Sometimes yeah. it, you know, uh, uh, is, let's say, more controversial, if not uh, unhealthy. Uh, you know, it, it, we don't have to go over any of that now. But certainly yeah, no. it has certainly caused uh, challenges yeah. in the past. And the the most poignant sentence for me uh, was when he, he talks about how his wife was an enthusiastic supporter of Rockefeller's approach. And he wanted to talk about his very, you know, religious uh, uh, upbringing for his kids, right? Which is something yeah, I, I think, think you need to. Things. Yeah, you need to summarize a little bit of the chapter, Ernie, before we go into the details of that. So for people who are not familiar with it, right? So, so I think the focus of the chapter, yeah, is, is precisely like at least what I talk about. It's like the main thing is talking about how they live this very um, um, religious, yeah, religious family life was the chapter I was going for. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the chapter title I was going for, in that it talks about how, like, as good, you know, Baptists, they were anti-alcohol to the point mm-hmm. of not attending events where alcohol was served. So right. they were largely decoupled from the social life of the area. Um, right. the, the flip side of that is, like, he, like, he worked hard, and then he came home and played with his kids. Like, he, like, mm-hmm. he didn't, he was not, you know, the stereotypical workaholic. He was actually very much like the modern, um, Silicon Valley ideal of manhood, which is a man who works, you know, uh, a 10-hour day at work, comes in, has dinner and plays with his kids, and then works another three or four hours in the evening, you know, is that he's, uh, he prioritizes work and family at the exclusion of general social life. And does he spend time to this? Uh, I mean, I don't remember now. Does he uh, put the kids to sleep? And reads to them. And oh, all I, don't, that. I don't know if he does. I don't know if he does. I was just comparing it. It's similar to, yeah. and you know, clearly you, you get the impression that he's that. always thinking about. You get the impression he's always thinking about business, <laughs> being oh, okay. Rockefeller. You know, hmm. but regardless, like he prioritizes work and family above everything. Actually, sorry, no. Hmm. He uh, possibly not about everything. His um, one could argue his religious ideal. Mm. Um, are, um, are difficult to distinguish from his work and his family, right? Because he's in this Baptist mindset of the time, which is make as much money as you can, give away as much money as you can, right? Right. 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 Um, and so he has a, and his family also has a very strong, when we say devoted to his family, um, it very much is in the sense of, um, bringing them up religiously like you know sundays is like you go to church and then you study the bible and like that's it you know you talk about scripture right you know we've had moments where we've aspired to this where like we don't listen to secular music or do anything you know secular on sundays uh i don't know how long that lasted but we've tried that at various times i remember trying it when yeah. we were growing up when i was a kid i remember trying it with my kids now um and so on the one hand i kind of admire him 
for taking something that many people think about or aspire towards and actually implementing it. And the kids mm -hmm. seem to be okay with it. Uh, we don't really know from this story yet how they turn out, but he says the yeah. children tend to have fond, positive memories of these things rather than uh, conscious resentment. Mm. Um, and and but, uh, sorry, that seemed to be the focus of the chapter is talking about, you know, how he organized and lived his family life. Okay. Uh, in this world, to play the will, they didn't have lots of servants. You know, the wife still did like most of the housework and, and um, became even more sort of family centric. Uh, again, you know, not is, is that where, far from. Uh, in this, is not this that far from any modern idea. About, yeah, this is the chapter where they talk about they don't buy new clothes or something. They do hand-me-downs for yeah. all the kids. And then the son uh, was wearing girls' clothing for the first few years or something like that. <laughs> the first time I did like seven, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, like, so they, they live, you know, simply to the point of austerity, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, the, you know, the, and let me just say this, like, in this sense, I see religion doing an enormous amount of good. Mm. <laughs> Right, because you know, compared to his father, night and day, And so, what I would argue, and uh, I would argue, and let's see, uh, let's see if you will challenge me on this, that his motives in doing so were pure. Like he genuinely wanted to do the right thing for his family. Right. Okay. He genuinely wanted to do right by God. So as far as yeah. he was concerned, his heart was purely centered on doing what God wanted. Doing what what God wanted? Doing what God, God wanted. God Do, wanted. Doing what God wants, right? His heart was turned towards God. Okay. The thing that we defined as the essence of morality mm -hmm. was, you know, he appears to be, to the extent that he is a reliable narrator of his own heart, Reliable what? A reliable narrator of his own narrator. heart and motivation, then we could say that his motives were pure. Sure. Right? At this and point, we're talking it. about the religious life and the family life at this point, yeah. And his right? business life. Right? He, he is, said that this chapter doesn't talk about the business life too much in this chapter. Very much. But, 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 like, no, but up to this point, like, he yeah. seems to be very consistently focused on a religious vision of mm -hmm. what God wants him to do. And as far as he is yeah. concerned, he is absolutely devoted to that. Yeah. Like you said, God right? wants him to make, make as much money as possible and give away as much money as possible. Yeah. Right. And as long as he doesn't do anything that he considers illegal or unethical or immoral, yeah. Yeah. everything is fair game. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, Okay. Okay. Uh, so, can I interrupt here? Can I interrupt here sure. a minute? It's interesting yes. because we're talking about family life. In our case, we wanted the best for you guys, right? We'll probably mm -hmm. got you the best clothes and things like that. And I will go and buy. I mean, after something. after a certain point, but yeah. <laughs> Even when you guys were all here and things like that, uh, I won't buy any shirt that's like fifty dollars and eighty dollars or something like that. And mom would say, how come you're buying your kids $50 shirts and $60 shirts? How come? Yes. I said, well, I, I'm in my heart a Clark's son. My children are doctor's children. 
<laughs> Remember yeah. that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think Rockefeller was like that in some ways. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, yeah. In some ways, yeah. But he didn't relax yet and give his children better things. He had a certain uh, later on, they had their own rail car, but till that time, he was not really so spending too much time. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there's probably a bunch of, well, this is like, what exactly was his motives, right? How much of that was trying to teach his children? you know, simplicity, how much of that yep. was the fact that he was a clerk's son, you know, that, that this was sort of a subconscious imprinting from his, you know, childhood or his mother's, you know, uh, deprivation, right? Where money, yeah. you know, when yeah. father was yeah. with money and therefore you need to always be careful. How much of it mm-hmm. was the Baptist um, imperative to not squander money? How much of it was social signaling, you know, mm-hmm. to like, Say that well, I'm not like those people over there who are the decadent millionaires, and I want to, mm, yeah, you know, exactly. and, 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 right. So th- th- just because, so you know, he, I'm sure he had a narrative in his head of why he was doing these things. But part of being a biographer and looking mm. from the outside as well, just because he said that and even thought that, is that the mm. whole truth, right? Yeah. You know, oh, and nobody, the, knows that. nobody knows that. Well, 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 well right. And you know, there is this. A uh, Bible verse that came to mind, uh, yeah, I think it was in Jeremiah, it says, you know, um, the heart of the man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Oh, yeah. Right, right. Right. Uh, uh, going on a sidetrack here, I'm going to do sidetrack a little yes. bit here. We're talking about Clarkson and all that. I know, we know somebody whose father uh, was a doctor and towards the end of his life, you know, he went into depression and he ran out of money. So that had an effect on this particular person who always was worried about whether our income will last uh, enough. So we need to be careful. We need to be frugal. So like you said, one of the motives for him may be, maybe I would not, this money is going to disappear. I uh, never know. So I need right. to be careful. Yeah. Type of thing. Yeah. Right. P- people talk about, about Apple and Steve Jobs, how we have like, you know, half a trillion, you know, you know, $100 billion sitting in cash in the bank doing nothing terribly valuable. And people say, well, it's because Apple, yeah. You know, Apple runs, I think, the world's largest hedge funds, which is just like all the money that's sitting in the bank. And the, uh, you know, they're trying to give it away uh, in some ways, like through buybacks or whatever. But uh, Hmm. they claim that, well, this is because Apple went through this near-death experience when I joined them in 1997. And so Steve Jobs, you know, had a obsession. And this is the thing, right? Is um, it's easy to see with other people, <laughs> right? How, well, they give you a logical reason for what they want to do, but really it's an emotional reason based on past trauma. Right? right. And, yeah, because, you, you know, know, it happens to uh, Rockefeller later on, too. I mean, it's an interesting thing, Ernie. Rockefeller was 200 years before Steve Jobs, and the same thing is happening here, huh? Okay, I didn't. Well, well, so, like, I mean, like I said, Rockefeller is the prototype of Silicon Valley, the self-made oh, millionaire okay. with a big idea, yeah. and by sheer force of will, brings it into reality. But as they say, he wasn't yeah. just a self-made man; he was a self-invented man. He had yeah. no prototype. He right. had no role model. Yeah, he right, just yeah. made it all up as he went along, which is why That's he right. had to trust himself. Yeah. Right. He couldn't defer to authority because no one else knew what he was trying to do. No one else had right. done it before. He had to figure this all out. And the interesting consequence of that 
is this thing is that he had to trust himself. Mm. Right? Yeah. And this is the interesting thing. This is the point I'm going to make. And this is the main thing. It talks about it. I find this like amusing, hilarious, bittersweet, uh, poignant, whatever the right word is. He talks about uh, the, 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 the narrator, Ron Chernow, the biographer, talks about the tragedy of the fact that his wife agreed with him all the time. But, you know, the husband, yeah. <laughs> he says he had chosen a wife who agreed with his religious values, even though she wasn't strictly Baptist, but, you know, that the, 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 she said, you know, like this idea that, okay, we're going to have this very strict regimen for how we raise up our kids. My husband's going to go into business and do all these things. He was involved in the business, right? She would do... No. She would consult on strategy and accounting and things like that. So she wasn't just a passive yeah. observer, right? Yeah. And so she, and, but as far as, you know, obviously it's like, as far as I can tell, she basically just aligned herself with his vision and values. She never questioned them. She never challenged them. Uh, she never had this tension of, well, you know, as far as we can tell, like, you know, um, and he, the, the, the biographer Ron Chernow, uh, uh, laments this fact, you know, and it was a very poignant thing, right? It's like, you know, He's gone like, to the tragedy? Like, what? yes, <laughs> or, 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 right, because you think like this is most men's idea of heaven, right? A wife who just agrees with them, and is aligned with them and supports whatever they say, right? But I think, you know, you and I have been around a lot, so you said, well, you know, actually, on occasion, maybe our wife has been right when we are wrong. Really, so willing well, to admit that theoretical possibility. Right. In that situation, one person's always right, the other one is the husband. No, but that's interesting because <laughs> that's maybe a cultural thing too. I mean, that 200 years ago, uh, the wife basically went along. And well, I mean, that, that was a cultural external norm. I doubt that even norm. then it was, it was always. I'm sure there I mean, I don't think human nature has changed that much that wives have always been able to keep their mouths shut. <laughs> and the person not even supposed to keep their mouth shut. The sense was that she actually agreed, right? That was the thing that's interesting about this perspective. It's not that she was like, you know, biting her tongue. Is that she was yeah, actually right. like fully right? Right, and this idea that right, well, so right, and so. His wife agrees, God agrees, his church agrees. Therefore, Rockefeller's faith in himself is justified. Right, right. Right, and, and this yeah. to me is the author's perspective. And my perspective, mm. right, is that um, I, I think there is a biblical word, word for this perspective. Mm. And you're welcome to disagree with me if you think it's fair or not. The word mm. is self-righteousness. Hmm. I don't he know. is right in his own eyes. Hmm. And okay, so let's all pro- pause there. Pro- you, you probably judge him that way, but he may not have felt it that way. Well, I'm absolutely certain he didn't see it that way. That is the essence of self-righteousness. That's almost a given, right? Hmm. It's not like I am saying, well, of course I get to determine what it is. Like, no, isn't it just obvious that I'm right? Is, is that, what do you think the word self-righteousness oh. means? Okay, okay. Let, let me Literally. stop you right there. Let me stop you okay. right there.
I can identify with him in many ways at this point from all of the things that you have said. Because I had to invent a lot of things as I went along. Not necessarily in the medical field, but in terms of coming to this country. Nobody in my family had ever come to this country before. And then where to go for residency, where to go and practice. All those decisions we had to make because I was not brought up making decisions like you guys are or your children are. We mm. always asked our parents what to do. My, I asked my parents, asked, I asked my, when I wanted to do my residency, I asked my father, so do you think I should go into surgery? And finally, he said, you have to decide that yourself. Till that time, I did everything my father told me to do. I didn't want to go into medicine, you know that. And my father mm. told me to go into medicine and wanted me to be a heart, heart doctor because of what happened to my mother. So I, I obeyed him and did that. And the other thing is uh, that, uh, so I I did a lot of things and then, but I never felt that I was always right. You said self-righteousness, you defined it as uh, that I'm always right or something like that. What did you define Uncles and aunts, 
they didn't discuss these things in front of everybody. So I had no yeah. clue. And in yeah. my family, my father made the decision. So when uh, at one point, some point in our life here, and mom said, how about we do it this way? I said, what? Why would she question me? And then I think I probably told you that uh, the, um, uh, in, a, in a religious magazine I read about, uh, what is that Martin thing? Uh, the, the, um, character, uh, the characteristics, the four types, phlegmatic. Oh, yeah, phlegmatic. the temperament book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a word for it. Some, some Martin. Cleric, phlegmatic, sanguine, and melancholy. The four temperaments. Yeah, melancholy. So when they describe certain characters, I said, that's what she is. That's why she's saying that thing. And I'm this. That is why. And even, you know, uh, people who, uh, when they are with company, some people get energized. Other people get drained. And right. extrovert versus introvert. Opposite. Yeah, we are opposite. She gets energized. I get drained. So things like that, that made sense to me. And then, like uh, maybe in Rockefeller's situation, he probably was finding out that too. But, but, but that made a big difference in my understanding where mom's coming from and uh, things like that. And we still struggle with that in certain instances. So that's uh, my story there. And, but because we were growing in our Christian faith, we were relying more and more on God at this stage of mm-hmm. our life rather than when I was making decisions. And again, uh, we wanted to do what is right in God's eyes and what God wants us mm-hmm. to do, uh, surrendering right. our lives to him. And, uh, following well, and this is the interesting thing. Yeah. And this is probably a good place to ask the question because I'm just realizing it's like, so when you're trying to figure out what God wants, what was the process yeah. you used? What were some of the clues or hints or rules? Well, yeah, again, all those things, praying about it and uh, trying to discern God's will by, you know, by reading the Bible and learning from Bible studies and also discussing with each other. Uh, right. It was not the case before. So uh, uh, all those things. Uh, again, you know, nobody is 100% sure how to discern God's will you know, all the time, right? Uh, use different formulas and different uh, ways at different in their times, but depending upon the situation. So, uh, all of the above. So. Right, so here's the interesting okay. question then. Yeah. So, why did you tell me that? Because we were discussing Rockefeller and his sense of what I was calling self-righteousness. Say that again. I didn't hear your question. It was very so, 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 we, so we were discussing Rockefeller, yeah. and I was lamenting how his wife didn't appear to ever disagree with him, uh, along with <laughs> yeah. the author of the yeah. biography. Or I was commenting yeah. on the author's lament of that. Uh, yeah. And it's like, you know, on the one hand, it's like, you know, it sounds like heaven, but I'm like, in practice, it's actually a good thing to have a divergent perspective because it helps you iterate on what you think is true to arrive at something closer to the truth. Yeah, see, I think uh, uh, when Arnold says that he agreed with him and all his decisions, I would say for the first few years of our marriage, mom agreed with most of the decisions that I made. And was that a good thing? Maybe. But now we are both mature in our relationship. We don't always agree on how all the decisions we make. And we discuss it. Sometimes we 
totally disagree, and that's not a bad thing either. So because right, so maybe good and bad isn't the right frame or right question to be asking. Maybe a better question is what is a mature way of doing it? And like it's okay that if you're in a narrow, you know, immature state, you have to make. Like, you know, it's like we have to just pretend to agree or we're not going to survive all this external trauma. But as we mature, as we take a more mature view of things, we say, okay, maybe my perspective isn't Mm. the only perspective. Maybe Mm. there's other perspectives that if I could appreciate and understand them, I would have a richer and fuller perspective on what's going on. Yeah, that's that's a great statement. I agree with you 100% on that. Fascinating. (laughs) But the interesting thing is, it's not just a husband and wife. Now our roles are getting reversed. Now we have to listen to our children and sometimes our grandchildren. (laughs) But mostly our children are telling us what we should be doing. To be fair, you don't have to because we know people who don't. But you are willing to, which I deeply, deeply appreciate. Like the fact that your daughter-in-law is ganged up on you to, uh, you know, make you move houses when you're 70 rather than living until you're 85. You know, things like, like, like it's difficult. I was listening to a uh, Tim Ferriss podcast sort of accidentally this morning where he talks about how Hmm. um, if you make hard decisions, you will have an easy life. If you only make easy decisions, you will have a hard life. But the point was that a lot of time you would be better served not by focusing on your goal, uh, trying to articulate your goal, but learning how to articulate your fears. Because the thing you fear is the thing you avoid thinking about, avoid doing, that ends up sabotaging you down the road. I mean, some and that's the, not, not all decisions are not always. Right, right, but but his point was is that people who are well informed and well educated and thoughtful, they usually choose reasonable goals um, yeah. and avoid like lots of stupid mistakes. But the thing that they end up doing is not is, is they get comfortable in their own head and they don't realize the things that they refuse to face that are you know we talk, we've been talking about technology and startups, right? How like um, you know, uh, Microsoft was doing mobile for 10 years before Apple came in with iPhone and absolutely destroyed Microsoft in mobile, right? Yeah. Windows Phone was a thing. And, and, and it's like, well, and it was only after that and, you know, five or 10 years of humiliation that Satya Nadella said, you know, hey, let's stop focusing on Windows, trying to get Windows everywhere. Let's focus on being a great enterprise services company. And, you know, the 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 hard decision was put off, and it was recoverable, but it simply destroyed like a decade of yeah. revenue and quality of life for a lot of people, right? And this is the thing that um, is interesting, is that self-righteousness, being confident I am doing the right thing and that I can trust my judgment, has enormous value in the short term, but is a massive liability in the long term. I think we're going to see that in Rockefeller's life. Yeah, right. Oh, we can do that. Yeah. And, and yeah, that maturity and then, is precisely the ability, or we can, at least we can start with this little hypothesis. We've never find it based on further studies. But an interesting word we have chosen is that a mature approach 
is one that, that is sufficiently secure to incorporate divergent perspectives. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So this, so so, can we go back to your original question? But, but uh, you know, you also have to add one more thing. As a Christian, I think okay. we also have to involve God in this, uh, the decisions that we are making to divergent. Right, but the question is, be, uh, of course, well, here, but, but, God, but, God, what is God, right, God so, want me to do? Well, well, I think this is an interesting question because hmm. one of the problems that I have found. Is there many people who are very focused on God, but by focusing on they mean a what their religious tradition teaches them? Yeah, right. Like like Rockefeller's Baptist view of wealth and money and markets, right? And and secondly, they mean what God says to them through in the depths of their own heart, their own conscience, their own spirit. Yeah, right. And my point is that is that if those are not divergent perspectives. In my experience, bringing God into this can do more harm than good because it creates a false confidence. Oh, no, no, sorry. I don't let let me be really Okay, so is that I, I'm not talking not about your experience. I, yeah. Okay, I understand. But I'm sharing my experience. And you can yeah. say, well, right, right. And, and if you look at history, mm. I mean, it's easy to look on the outside. Well, clearly those people, this is, this is an interesting question. When we see people making bad choices. This is my other mm. podcast. Do we think it's because, oh, yes, I know I'm being evil. I really don't care what God or other people think. I'm just going to do this because I want to. And, mm. you know, that's all there is to it. Or are they most likely self-deceived? They've either convinced themselves that this is the right thing to do or that they have no choice and it's a necessity so they have to do this horrible thing. Is that they, uh, uh, and then they lie to themselves uh, to justify what they have to do. Right. Um, we think, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm sure all say, of that is true. About, yeah. yeah. All of that is true. Different circumstances, different people, different uh, time of life, your uh, life, and all that. I have only five minutes left, I think, and you want to yeah. go back and revisit that uh, parable of the. Uh, I, 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 so, so let me just ask this. Okay. I will just ask the questions. So clearly, we, I think we've already agreed your decision to do this was a moral decision, pure motive of generosity. Okay. okay. The question I have, the hypothetical one, is that when your um, insurer objected, when they offered a divergent perspective on what had happened, would it have been more mature? Sorry, you don't think that. Sorry, sorry. So my contract with my contract with. Sorry, sorry. So, 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 on. I didn't even finish my sentence. What were you objecting to? I thought you were done. Okay, okay, go ahead. Okay. So, my my point was that the insurer had a divergent perspective. On what the contract was, and what. Sorry, they their their perspective on what they on the nature of their agreement with you was divergent mm-hmm. from yours. Would you disagree with that statement? Yeah, and they were wrong. The, <laughs> 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 Thank you, Father. Yeah, All right, I'm just going to stop that. They were wrong. 
sorry, sorry, sorry. I wasn't even asking that question. But you're refusing to let me ask that question. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they have a different perspective, obviously, yeah. They, okay. It happens all the time, already. Sorry, sorry, Sasa. No. Let me just make this clear. Let me say, you agreed that they had a divergent perspective. Yeah. We agreed, I think, that the more mature approach is to not focus on right and wrong, but on our ability to integrate divergent perspectives. No, no, no. There are certain things that are right and wrong. You cannot do ah, that. Ah, okay. No. Well, you cannot do well, that. Why not? Well, when, sorry, when slow down. Wrong, so, 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 slow down. See? Okay, no. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'll say sorry. Okay, sorry. Slow, slow down. Okay. So you're saying there are certain cases. Well, let, me, let, me, okay, let me make sure I'm clear what you are saying. Yeah. Is that in general, we agree that it's more mature to be able to comprehend and integrate different perspectives. But there are certain other things where it's actually immoral to, to make allowance for those perspectives because those perspectives are clearly wrong. Is that your position? See, Ernie, you're talking about making decisions and getting different perspectives with the business transaction. They're so different things. You're, you're mixing apples and oranges. Really? What are the two apples? Before that, we were talking about making decisions and uh, how to uh, proceed further in your life and all those getting different perspectives um, from your uh, wife and now from other people too. What we were talking about is the business transaction I had with them, and that's cut and dry. There's no different perspective. There's only one perspective. What I had a contract. Which is the right one. Contract. What I had. Okay. They they came up with a, their own interpretation. They do that all the time in the insurance. They don't want to pay. They'll ask for different things, which is not in the contract. So uh, it was a contract. I had a contract. I will charge you this much, and you pay 80% of that. And that was the contract. And I, the, the, the fee was not set by them. It was set by, by me and uh, the American... Uh, uh, Medical Association, different, totally different. And so uh, what their contract with me was, I charge you this much. If you agree with that, we pay 80% of that. Yeah, right. They have to. And they've been doing that all along for the for everybody, right? They give 80%. So that was the call. We're talking, we cannot get a different divergent opinion there, right? I cannot get a golden Sorry, uh, Are you people. asking... You, you keep saying right like you're asking a question, but I don't know if you're actually asking a question or just making an. No, you said you said that you know you should have a divergent uh, opinions on this. Sorry, I, I didn't say should. Let's let's uh, be really precise. I'm not saying should. What okay. I am saying okay. is that a more mature approach, which is more likely to lead to the correct answer, is mm. when it is possible to. Uh, be able to under comprehend and incorporate divergent perspectives. I'm making a general epistemic point about arriving at a true understanding, not uh, about about questions of morality of what's right and wrong. Yeah, but again, we are mixing things because you know, you're talking about a business thing that happened between the owner and the people who he paid and things like that. Uh, where they're talking about family uh, relationships. And also uh, uh, how we live our Christian life and so many things. So we may have to talk about it different times, another time. Hello? 
to if fun, yeah, sorry, a little audio glitch there. Uh, yeah. This is precisely the question we're going to be discussing for the rest mm. of Titan is with Rockefeller, which I'm happy to talk about Rockefeller. If you want to make it about you, I'm happy to make it about you. Uh, mm. You know, this is why we're doing this podcast. Talk about Rockefeller. No, no, talk about Rockefeller. So, so for Rockefeller, is like he has a very specific morality, and mm. he expresses in certain ways towards his family, certain ways towards his business. Yeah. And one of the biggest questions – that I think that you and I have discussed in the past, so I'm not sure how much we've talked about here, it's a question of compartmentalization. Like, okay. can you say yeah. that this, and in fact, this is a, I didn't have, I this was on a podcast, I think it was just a phone call I did with my mentor, which is that the thing that, that he and I are striving towards is what we might call a harmonious life, is that certainly in our business and our family lives, we act in different ways. But even yeah. within those business and families, we act like there are sometimes in the family the focus is on getting things done, on yeah. making sure that we get the kids out the door for school, that we balance the budget, etc. There's a very performance-based yeah. perspective, and sometimes yeah. in work, uh, there's a place to say, forget about the project, forget about the deliverable. What are you feeling? What is the, and focus on the relationship and the trust. And so mm. for us, there is no hard and fast division between work life and family life, and spiritual life, that yeah. they all have different facets. And the mature yeah. approach is being able to fluidly uh, and harmoniously shift between these things. And we don't always, but then the point of spiritual growth is to identify, uh, the technical term for this is canalization, where our brain gets stuck in a rut and is only able to act in certain ways that are not sensitive to the needs of the context. And that the, the gracious life is one where we have this organic uh, interplay between the different aspects of our life and personality that is, you know, over time becoming more and more like Jesus. And yeah. so the idea that compartmentalization and these rigid boundaries are what I see as the thing that keeps us from turning our hearts to God. Uh, is probably one of these things we're going to be arguing about for the rest of the podcast. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we will. All right. Thank you, my father. I appreciate <laughs> okay, you. Well, Did love you want to call afterwards to follow up or we yeah, got it yeah, for now? Catch up on news. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Okay. Love you. Love you. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.